This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Bright Focus Chat. Today's topic is AMD diagnosis, what to expect. And this could be for anyone, whether your diagnosis was just days ago or many years ago. We have a great opportunity to ask questions of one of the leading experts in the country on AMD. Our guest today is Dr. Milan Brantley from Vanderbilt University. He's a, a, a very a leading researcher and a leading uh, ophthalmologist, and Bright Focus has had the opportunity to fund his research for Macular Degeneration Research Program over the years. So without further ado, I'd like to turn to Dr. Milan Brantley of Vanderbilt University. And Dr. Brantley, thank you so much for, for being with us today. And I'd like to just start off with um, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Like, Why did you want to become a, a doctor? <laughs> Well, thanks, Michael. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, I was actually talking to somebody about that yesterday. Uh, I, my real interest in medicine, uh, I didn't have any family members in, in medicine, but uh, when I was maybe a freshman in high school, I went to a summer program, and I, I somehow got involved in the medical studies thing, and that just lit a spark that uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I really enjoy patient care, and I like doing research, too, and I, and I actually like trying to do both. It makes both of them a little challenging, but I, I see my patient care aspect of my job as somewhere where I can do something good or at least try to for the individual sitting in front of me. And I see the research part as, as an opportunity to maybe try to learn a little bit more about macular degeneration or, or diabetic retinopathy and uh, do something that can, can help uh, the field in general. So I'm trying to play it both ways, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Understandable. So, what's a, what's a typical week like for you at Vanderbilt University? Like, what are some of the the things you do? Uh, yeah. So, so I I see patients uh, uh, about a day and three quarters a week on average. So, I'll, I'll often have one full day and one half day, or or two full days in clinic. I actually go out to a couple of our satellite uh, offices, one about 45 minutes away and one about an hour and a half away. Um, we're trying to make it uh, easier for people to get their retina care. And so uh, sometimes you've got to take that care down to where, it's, where uh, older folks can, can get to you a little bit more easily. So I split my time between research and, uh, and seeing patients. And I also have some uh, teaching responsibilities, uh, which, I, which I really enjoy. That's great. That's great. I'm sure you're you're quite busy. So, kind of kind of related to your you said you know uh, your days in clinic and going out to some of Vanderbilt's um, uh, satellite locations. Just wondering if we could start. What type of doctor is best suited to diagnose AMD? <laughs> well, that's that's a great question, and, and and let me start with just kind of um, what what the options are, and 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 a simple view of that. Um, a lot of people for their routine eye care, particularly those that are away from the city, see an optometrist for their routine eye care. And that's fantastic because there are a lot more optometrists than ophthalmologists. And, and the vast majority of these are, are fantastic at, at kind of looking in the back of the eye and, and making a diagnosis of AMD if, if there's one to be made. The next, uh, the next type of doctor that we probably want to consider is a comprehensive ophthalmologist. Uh, that is someone who, it's, it's your regular local IMD, that's somebody who's going to do cataract surgery, can take care of your glaucoma, can, can actually watch after early macular degeneration that's not bothering your vision just yet. Um, and then finally, there's the, the retina specialist. That's, that's what I do. And um, we're prepared to diagnose and treat 
uh, wet macular degeneration. We can also follow uh, the dry macular degeneration, particularly when it gets to the advanced stage. So there's, there's kind of all sorts of different, I don't even want to call them levels, but types. Um, you know, certainly as a retina specialist, we feel like we, we're the ones that can certainly treat and make uh, treatment decisions, uh, but it can, all, it can be diagnosed generally at any level. I want to, the, probably the main point I want to make in this whole conversation is the importance of a dilated eye exam. Um, a lot of times when we go for a routine annual exam, we might not get dilated in the optometrist's office. And, and sometimes there's a, a request to take a picture. That's okay. But really the kind of gold standard for, look, for looking in the back of the eye and saying, I think you have macular degeneration or not, is based on a dilated fundus exam. So that's what I like to encourage for people who are concerned about it. Right. And, and in terms of a dilated exam, is that the best phrasing for someone to use when they go to their doctor? Or what's, you know, sort of how, how does one ask for a dilated exam? I, I think that's actually quite good. And, and if, you, if you simply say as a patient, um, I'm concerned about AMD or macular degeneration, and I was hoping that you would do a dilated either dilated exam, dilated fundus exam. The fundus is the back of the eye that we look at uh, to make these decisions. So that's the key point to me is saying the word dilated. And everybody will know what that means. That's great. That's good to know. So, uh, Dr. Brantley, I was wondering if, if someone is not going to the to um, an eye care professional on a regular basis, are there s- specific symptoms that might in- – Tell them that they should that they should go to the doctor for a possible um, AMD diagnosis. Sure. Um, <clears throat> one thing, I mean, and this can apply to people who actually go to their eye doctor once a year and they get their glasses checked and they get their cataracts looked at to see if it's time for cataract surgery. This applies to them too, or somebody who hasn't been in a while, is to look for changes in your vision. Um, most of these things you'll notice, but the the trick is I found that a whole lot of people never bother to cover one eye and see what the vision is with the other eye and then go back and cover that first eye and see what the vision is with the other eye. And I think that's a, a key message is, you know, if something looks a little bit off and you're, you're I've had a lot of patients say, I sit at the same place every morning, I'm drinking my coffee, and there's a telephone pole out there, and one day it looked wavy. That's suspicious. That's suspicious for wet AMD, a straight line that looks wavy. Um, So we always talk to people about looking for wavy lines. Uh, We have little take-home devices that people who are routinely getting seen can look at, but just out in everyday life, the line on the road, if that suddenly looks wavy or starts to look wavy over a period of time, that's a little concerning. When you're not driving, when you're there and you can look at it, take one hand, cover one eye, and see which eye, is it the left eye or the right eye, that you're actually seeing that waviness. Most of us have a, a pretty strongly dominant eye, and if something's getting blurry in the other non-dominant eye, we might not even notice. So I always encourage people to cover one eye, cover the other eye. So the main things that we're looking for are simple blurriness. Now that could be AMD or that could be cataract or that could be something else, but it's important if it comes up suddenly in one eye. And blurriness and wavy lines, those are the big things that we tell people to look for. Well, that's great. Now, it's, that's that's very, very clear, easy to follow advice for all of us. So in, in your practice, once you diagnose someone with AMD, what, what happens next? 
Well, so in order to answer that question, I'm going to have to back up a little bit and talk about the different sort of levels or types of AMD. Now, everybody hears the words dry and wet. And wet, that means one thing, and, and that means that new blood vessels have formed in the back of the eye, they're abnormal, and they're leaking either blood or fluid. And wet AMD is always, is, it's always a serious concern. If you got that, that needs to be attended to. Dry AMD is a more catch-all term for all the AMD that's not wet. And that could be very, very mild. A couple of little spots in the back of the eye that look abnormal to us, but don't affect your vision whatsoever. Or it can be a, a late case of dry AMD where there's no fluid, there's no blood, but the cells have simply died out over time. And when the cells die out, certain cells, the photoreceptors, then you can't see anymore. So I like to actually think of AMD as early AMD, intermediate AMD, and late AMD. And you can just think of it as early and late if you like. We can make some distinctions in the office. But early AMD, people, what we see when we look in the back of the eye are some, something called drusen. And you know, many of the listeners out there may have heard their doctors say that they've got some drusen. And this is an early, typically, or intermediate form of AMD where usually the vision is not affected. Now, there's a big, wide range of just a few little drusen that don't look so bad or a whole heck of a lot of drusen that can actually affect your vision a little bit. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the difference between early and intermediate. But when we find that, what we'll do is we'll take some pictures probably, take a little, people call it a scan. It's actually an OCT or optical coherence tomograph, big fancy word, for a computerized picture of the back of the eye that lets us see how thick the retina is. And that helps us find fluid. That helps us determine uh, a lot of different things about retinal health. And so if we see probably early AMD, we're going to look at it. We're going to say, you've got a few drusen back there. I want to see you back in a year. And you let us know if you notice any changes in your vision whatsoever. If I see intermediate AMD, which is a whole bunch of drusen, and that to me means that person is more at risk for having advanced AMD, I'm definitely going to take some pictures. And I might have that person come back in six months just to see if things are changing any. And also, I'll really stress hard to call us immediately if they notice any changes in their vision. And finally, if somebody has wet AMD, we'll go on and start talking about treatment right away. What are some of those treatments for wet AMD? So if you'd asked that question 15 years ago, there would have been more than one type of treatment. But now, really, it's just about all AMD treatment is a, an injection in the eye with a really tiny needle in the white part of the eye uh, with a medicine, and there are three different ones that people use, but all of those medicines, um, the idea is to stop the blood vessels from leaking blood and leaking fluid. And so they're called anti-VEGF. People might have heard that term. VEGF stands for vascular endothelial growth factor, big long phrase, but what it means is that's in the eye that makes the blood vessels leaky and they leak fluid and they leak blood. So what we're trying to do with the shot is put a, mo a different molecule in there that stops that VEGF from causing all the bleeding and the leaking. There are three major uh, types. Their trade names 
are Avastin, Lucentis, and Ilea. Anybody out there who has uh, received treatment for wet macular degeneration has probably gotten one of those. Every once in a while, sometimes people will get a steroid injected as well. This was a little bit trendier somewhat earlier, but still sometimes it can be used in, in combination with the anti-VEGFs. But by far, by far, the most likely treatment is with an anti-VEGF injection in the eye. We, uh, as you can imagine, we've, we've had several questions come in about these uh, injections. Uh, the first one, just to uh, uh, an unfamiliar person, an injection in the eye sounds sounds pretty unpleasant. Um, how does it, you know, how, how does it work for, um, you know, uh, your patients? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And, and I think the consensus, if you've talked to all our patients, you would get, it sounds scarier than it is. And so we always have this big conversation with people. I know it sounds terrible that we're going to put a needle in the eye, but really, you know, about 35 of those people out there in the waiting room, they're getting the same thing too. So it, this is our our standard treatment, it works so much better than anything we've had before. The way, it, the way we do it, and people, there are slight variations on this, so different doctors are going to do it slightly differently, and that's all okay. Uh, so don't, don't get worried if the way I'm going to describe it is a little bit different than how your doctor does it. Uh, but typically we'll numb the eye. Well, I mean, always we numb the eye, but I do it with a gel. Other people use an injection uh, that's just just at the edge of the white part of the eye, and what that'll do is numb it up, whether you're using gel or the uh, injection of lidocaine. And then once the eye is numb, some people, I do, uh, I put a little lash holder in there to keep the lids open and keep the lashes away from uh, the side of the injection. Not everybody does that. Some people hold it with their fingers, and that's fine too. And then we take a very small, very short needle and inject into the white part of the eye, away from the colored part, away from the clear part, but not too terribly far from there. Uh, and the actual process of the injection, I would think, takes maybe three seconds uh, wow. to put the needle in, to press the syringe, and to pull the needle out carefully. Um, there is a chance after that, and it's, it's not a small chance, there's a chance that there might be some bleeding on the outside part of the eye because we'll hit a blood vessel going in. That really isn't a problem. Uh, a lot of us, this is called a subconjunctival hemorrhage, and many of us have had those before from coughing or straining or something, and it looks like there's blood painted on the eye, but the doctor will usually say, oh, you might have a little red on the white part of your eye today. And sometimes if I see someone who's got quite a bit after the procedure, I'll show it to them and say, this is all on the outside, your injection went beautifully, if this doesn't change, then you're absolutely good to go. But I always tell people, Absolutely. You call us if you notice any pain, any worsening of your vision uh, afterward, because those things shouldn't happen. Yeah. No, that's good to know. And so we've got several more questions uh, about injections. Um, sure. Uh, we have a caller from New Jersey is wondering, um, can, do injections work for dry AMD? There are a few trials of clinical trials of things uh, to inject to slow down dry AMD, but none of those is routinely available at this point, and, and, and we just don't know enough about that yet. What Everything that people are getting injected in a routine clinical situation, not a trial, um, would be for wet AMD. So if somebody has dry AMD, in general, we don't have a great treatment for that at this point. 
Now, 10 years ago, we'll probably tell a different – 10 years from now, excuse me, we'll probably tell a different story. But right now, the, those anti-VEGF injections don't work for dry AMD. Now, somebody who's had wet AMD and they've gotten treated and they got a lot better, the doctor may very well, and in most cases will, say – Listen, we know what happens when you're not getting an injection, so I'm going to put an injection in your eye every two months or so for maintenance to keep the levels of VEGF down in your eye and keep that, those new blood vessels from coming back and causing you problems like they did before. So it, the, the way one follows up and the how long people have to have injections, that's the number one question. How long do I have to have these? It all depends on how your particular AMD responds to the treatments. Some people need injections every month to maintain their vision. Some people can go every two months and do just fine. And every once in a while, we get to the point where it's scarred down or it just looks like we might be able to stop the injections. I'll tell you that that's not usually the case because you think of AMD as kind of, this is a, a, a chronic disease like high blood pressure. And you know, if you want to not have high blood pressure, you take your high blood pressure medicine, usually always. And then maybe there's something down the road that allows you to pull off of that. But usually it's a treatment, not a cure. And so this also, these injections are a treatment and not necessarily a definitive cure. Uh, so you oftentimes will have to continue the injections to maintain those gains that you've gotten since you first started getting the injections. Well, no, I pre appreciate that. And and so for the for the dry AMD, is that where am I correct that that's where the the VEGF, the Areds uh, uh, supplements come in? Right. So yeah. So the the whole idea behind the Arid supplements, and you know, we had the first big Arid study. Gosh, that's that that went into a long time ago. And then we they did the Areds two study, which finally comes to a, a conclusion that a certain set of vitamins. Uh, and you've heard of lutein before, it's included in, and beta-carotene. Beta-carotene was replaced by lutein in the second round, um, but a set of vitamins, and the idea behind those is keeping from progressing to that intermediate AMD that I was telling you about before, where you have a bunch of drusen and you haven't had anything bad happen yet, but you don't want to. And so the idea behind the AREDs, or AREDs 2 vitamins, is to keep that in the intermediate stage and keep it from progressing to the advanced AMD, whether that be wet or whether that be the advanced dry. So, uh, you know, if, we can, if you don't mind, we have a couple more questions about the injections. Um, sure. Uh, someone's wondering, um, are there, is there hope for um, a new type of medication where you wouldn't need the injections as often? Um, yeah, so there, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I won't go into details, but there are a lot of trials, I mean, we we went from having treatments that that just didn't work very well, sort of you know back in the early 2000s. Um, we you know we didn't have anything when I first started, and I don't like to think of myself as that old. But when I first started as a retina doctor, when somebody was diagnosed with wet AMD, a lot of times we would say, Ah, oh, I'm really sorry. Let's see what this looks like in three months, and and we didn't really have anything to do. Um, that changed very early in my career, uh, and, and we've, we did PDT. People may know about that one, the kind of uh, cold laser. And then we moved pretty quickly from that to the injectables. Um, I think that they are um, – they, they do very well. 
and so much better than what we had before. Now, obviously, the goal is, is there something that we can do where we could ease the burden on patients, ease the burden on our clinics, and have, not have people have to come in as often? So two ways to kind of think about that are longer-term in, or injections that last longer, uh, so lots of work going on in that. Maybe we could do something that the injection lasts three months instead of one month. Or a small little something that you could uh, put in the eye that will slowly release the medication over time so that you wouldn't have to come in quite so often. Uh, and, you know, obviously the, 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 the huge goal would be something that didn't have to involve an injection, an, an eye drop or a pill. We're a ways away from that, but there's lots and lots of research into making these treatments better and also less burdensome on the patient. I know we understand that it takes a lot for people to come into the doctor every month, and sometimes that means somebody has to drive them in every month, and that, that's not only the patient, but that's their driver. And you know, we realize that this takes a, a lot of time for folks. We want to be able to offer them the best care and the best outcome. And so maybe eventually, uh, and, and hopefully within the, in the short period of time, that there will be uh, tweaks to these medications or even new medications that will allow for the same kind of good results, but with, without having to come in quite so often. That's great. No, I, I think you're, you're exactly right with the burden on, on caregivers and, and the healthcare mm-hmm. system in general. Um, another question, so switching gears uh, here, uh, one question that we receive uh, quite a bit is um, stem cell therapy. I think a lot of, a lot of people, you, you know, hear, hear uh, st- the, word, you know, the phrase stem cell in, in the news or hear other yeah. people talking about it. Um, is there hope uh, related to stem cells for, for AMD? Or is one of you could just, just you know, tell us a little bit more about the... The, the, sure. the myths versus, myths versus uh, facts on stem cells. Sure. And, and, Michael, I'll tell you that this is a conversation that I have with my patients every single time I'm in clinic. There's a lot of news out there, uh, whether that's a news report or something in the lay newspaper that talks about stem cells and their potential, or even people know someone who went somewhere and got stem cells injected in their eye, and they want to know if that's something that that, that would be right for them. Um, Your actual question was, is there hope for this as a potential therapy? And my answer is yes, absolutely. Is it ready? My opinion is no, not yet. Now, like I said, I realize that there are places that people can go and get stem cells. But as as a retina doctor, what I'm looking for Uh, We like to practice evidence-based medicine, so we like to have a clinical trial that compares people who get the stem cells with some type of control where there weren't, and and to do this in a large enough number of people that you can get an idea in general for people, does a therapy work? Would stem cells uh, in a certain manner given be better than not doing it or doing our current treatment, which would be doing some injections? So until there's a a clinical trial uh, that shows that this is effective for the the majority of folks getting it, then I, I think the jury's still out. The other thing that complicates this tremendously and that people really need to know about is stem cells aren't just one thing. 
Um, there's a lot of different types of stem cells based on where they come from and based on what you're trying to do with them. Um, true, true retinal stem cells are attempting to make retinal stem cells. There's a couple of different kinds. Uh, there's an embryonic stem cell. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy with that of using cells from embryos. But these are early cells that researchers are trying to program into making retinal cells that will be effective for people. The other type of stem cell is uh, uh, an induced stem cell where you can take a, a fibroblast, a type of skin cell from a patient, and then put some genes in that that kind of make it revert back to a nonspecific type of cell, which would be a stem cell. A stem cell just means it still has the potential to do a lot of different things. And then you try to program it into something that's helpful in the retina. So that's trying to make actual cells be like retina cells and replace the ones that you've lost from your AMD or whatever thing you're trying to treat. So those are the true retinal stem cell approaches. Other people have injected stem cells in the eye and, and they may be bone marrow cells. So you could take an aspirate of bone marrow and put that in or around the eye. I've heard of that happening. Um, but that's not trying to make a retina cell. That's a little bit more ambiguous, and it's really not well understood how that might or might not work. Uh, and so those are the things that people could actually go get and pay for at this point. Personally, I, I'm waiting for a little bit more evidence, uh, and not just an anecdotal evidence. I know someone who had this, and they seem to be doing well, but we studied a certain number of people. This is how many we were going to look at. And the results from all of our people in general show that this is a, a good, solid, safe treatment. So that's kind of what we're waiting for. So, so I have this conversation, like you said, all the time. The Yes, there is hope, but it's far more complicated than, than we understand. That, so it's, 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 it's a tricky one. Um, but I think definitely don't give up hope for that as a potential tre treatment for AMD. Well, that's yeah. No, I appreciate your 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 you know clarification on that. Um, we have a handful of questions we're going to try to get to before the end. Sure. Um, well, caller is wondering um, what is geographic atrophy? Is that the same thing as AMD? And you know, are the treatments the same? Or if you sure. could clarify, is there a difference? And what do you do? Right. So remember earlier in the conversation, I said that there's early, there's intermediate, and there is advanced AMD. And advanced AMD can be either wet AMD that we've talked about, or it can be advanced dry AMD. And I said that that's where we lose cells. We just, the cells just go away. They're not there anymore. They're not healthy. They're, they, they die. That is geographic atrophy. Uh, the word atrophy just means without shape or form anymore, so that part of the retina doesn't have its normal form because the cells are gone. And often the layer underneath the retina, the retinal pigment epithelium, a lot of times those cells are gone. But it's those photoreceptors, those rods and cones that sit right above the RPE. If they're gone, then we can't see in the spot where they are gone. Now, when you look in the back of the eye, when I do that and I put the lens up and I look in the back of somebody's eye, and I may see an area that's pretty well-defined where those cells are gone, and I can tell you exactly where that is, and I can draw it out. A lot of times that sort of looks like a map in the back of the eye, and so that's where it gets the term geographic atrophy because it's a very well-defined area of atrophy or no cells, and what that leads to is a corresponding blind spot. If that is right in the center, 
then that takes your central vision. And you're not going to be 2020 anymore. You may be 2400, top, lo- top letter on the chart. If it's off to the side just a little bit and the very center is preserved, you may have a decent-sized blind spot near your central vision, but hopefully your central vision will be preserved. Now, is there treatment for this? You know, as I said earlier with the dry MD, there's nothing at this point to reverse that. But again, you know, looking forward, stem cells are the sorts of things that would be exciting to try to reverse or to try to get you some cells back in that area doing something that works. Yeah, that's, I appreciate that. A couple more questions. Um, A caller caller from Washington State is wondering about cataract surgery. Does that make you more likely to get AMD, less likely? Is there any connection between cataract surgery and AMD? Yeah, so so this has been studied many, many times, and there there are some studies out in the literature that that suggest uh, that that, uh, cataract surgery may uh, lend itself toward AMD, or maybe you want to wait to do it in somebody who has AMD. But I think for sure the preponderance of studies and kind of the consensus is if you've got AMD and you need cataract surgery, get the cataract surgery. Because if you need it, it's going to make a big difference for you, or at least it has the potential to. Now, you do have to remember that if you've got an advanced case of AMD and the retina just doesn't isn't healthy anymore, Doing cataract surgery is not going to help the back of the eye. And this is the, the classic example that we, you know, people remember uh, film cameras. We're all digital now, but uh, back in the day, you used film cameras. And you think of the retina as the film in the back of the camera. And you can, and the cataract is the lens. So if you've got a lousy lens, you get rid of that, you buy the best lens possible, and you put it on your camera. If your film is messed up, you're still not going to take a good picture. Now, the the light's going to get in better, and in the case of people, usually their peripheral vision gets better and their side vision and and just having a better light, and that can be helpful. But it is important to understand that that does not usually affect one way or the other what the back of the eye looks like. So for my patients that, you know, if if their doctor is thinking about cataract surgery, uh, you know, we make sure that we do it so that it doesn't interrupt our injection cycle if we're doing injections every month or every two months. Uh, but we can almost always coordinate that uh, with the cataract surgeon. And I recommend that if you need the cataract surgery, get the cataract surgery. I appreciate that. So uh, what we're going to do is we're getting close to the end. So we're going to have one uh, one more question, then a little housekeeping, and then turn to um, Dr. Brantley for uh, final uh, f- final comments. So, Dr. Brantley, if uh, if a patient wants to learn more about clinical trials, um, what okay. what should they what should they do? Who should they talk with? Um, yeah. So, there's a couple of different ways to do this. You, you know, I, I always recommend talking to your eye doctor about it. Uh, and now, some eye doctors will be a little bit more well versed on AMD clinical trials than others, uh, and that's fine. But always you know, always start that way. But the other thing, if you're if you're computer savvy and you get on the internet, there is a website that where all clinical trials are are to be registered, and that is clinicaltrials.gov. And clinical trials is one word. You just spell it out. Clinical trials with an S on the end. Dot gov, and then the very first page gives you a little blank, and you can type in any disease or any condition you want to and see what clinical trials are out there. So you can type in macular degeneration or try AMD, 
and it'll come up with a whole bunch of things. Now, you've got to look at these very carefully because some of them are still recruiting and some of them are no longer recruiting. Those are color-coded for you. The green ones are still recruiting. The red ones aren't. But also, you need to look and see what they're – and it's, it's written in – pretty understandable English. It's not uh, super scientific-y, so it's, it's meant for people to be able to just, who you know, aren't scientists or aren't medical doctors, to look and see what the trial is about. Some of them might be a natural history trial. We want to recruit a bunch of people with AMD and just take their picture. Uh, you know, you might qualify for that trial, but you, you should know going in that that's not a treatment trial. They're not trying to do anything treatment-wise for you, they're following the natural history. Or they're testing a new piece of equipment to see if it does a better job of diagnosing AMD. And that's a common thing, too. But uh, I always tell my patients uh, for AMD, for, for really anything, if they're, cons if they're interested in being up-to-date, um, you can look at clinicaltrials.gov. And I always tell folks, too, that we, we check it all the time, and we've got our ear to the ground here. And so if anything comes up, then we've got a lot of phone calls to patients to make to, to see if, they're, if it's something that they'd be interested in doing. And by the way, I've read that, and it's really good. And so I, I, I definitely recommend both of those things. Uh, Bright Focus has done a really nice job on that. Great. One of my colleagues is the, is the, uh, is the author, so I'll pass, I'll pass that along. <laughs> Please. So, Dr. Brantley, as we conclude today, uh, most importantly, I just want to say thank you for, for being so generous and so, so my pleasure. Follow. Do you have a, a sort of a, a big-picture advice that, that you give patients? In I can imagine a pretty anxious uh, uh, experience. But do you have just sort of a that, would, uh, oh, that you'd like to share? I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the question. Uh, so if you have uh, it, you know, kind of, uh, is there a common message that you like to share with your your patients? Um, uh, you know, during what is obviously a very anxious time as they as they get diagnosed and, and begin treatment for AMD, is there sort of a uh, you know tip that you know sort of uh, sure, you know sure. that help them cope? Yeah. So I think you know there, there's a couple of ways to think about that. One is not to hesitate. It's the saddest thing to me is to have someone who we know they have dry AMD, we know they're at risk for wet AMD, and somewhere since the last time I saw him, their vision went down, but they didn't call. And they said, oh, I didn't want to bother you. Oh, I thought it would get better. And I'm like, ah, that's why we're here. I would much rather see you and say, good news, you don't have anything to worry about, rather than have you come in three months after something happened? Because we lost time to treat it. So, uh, you know, my my suggestion for patients is, if you're if you're looking at your Amsler grid, if you're looking for that waviness that I talked about, if you're looking for something and you notice it, then go ahead and give your eye doctor's office a call. Now, based on the way you describe it and describe it very uh, carefully then that doctor's office might say, okay, we can, that, that sounds like something we need to look at. It's not an emergency. We can see you next week or we can see you in two weeks or something like that. Or if you give exactly the right things that they don't want to hear, then they might say, well, you need to come on in today and we'll take a look or tomorrow. Most of the time, you know, macular degeneration is not a go to the emergency room thing, but it's definitely a call your doctor thing. And if you ever have sudden complete loss of vision, like everything's gone in one eye, that's not macular degeneration. And so 
that needs that needs immediate attention. So that is call your regular doctor, call your eye doctor, and somebody's probably going to tell you to go to the emergency room. But the big thing is just don't hesitate to get it checked out if you're concerned at all, because we as doctors would much rather give you a pat on the back and say, hey, good news, nothing going on here that we need to worry about today, um, rather than you know see it three months after the fact and say, oh, wow, this is already starting to scar up. Um, so please don't hesitate to, to give us a call when you, when you think you might see something different. Yeah, well, that's great. That, that's very... Uh, uh, very comforting and, and, and empowering advice. And and so, Dr. Brantley, I just want to conclude by, you know, on behalf of Bright Focus and, and all of our listeners today, um, just want to thank you. You've been you've been very very generous with your time and um, and really appreciate that we've been able to partner together on your research and and also um, uh, helping to educate families. Well, thank you very much. It was a it a pleasure, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to folks. Okay. Well, thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.